0: Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. A woman's red station wagon was crushed by an elephant once. She was at a circus, and uh, the elephant got loose and just sat on her car. The owners of the animal apologized, explaining the animal uh, for some reason simply just liked to sit on red cars. In spite of the damage, however, the car was still drivable, so the lady uh, went home went to bed, uh, set up an appointment the next day for the garage to take it in and get it worked on. As she was driving to the garage that day, um, there was a car accident that had happened just in front of her. Traffic was blocked. She was sitting there, uh, you know, just really as we would sit and standstill traffic on the road with her uh, car accident in front of you. The emergency crews finally arrived, and uh, seeing her car, they quickly ran over. Uh, they assessed the scene of the other two cars in the accident and thought that she was in the accident. And she, she told them, "Listen, no, 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 no. Listen, I was at the circus yesterday, and an elephant sat on my car." Thinking she was delusional and just shocked from the wreck herself, they, they strapped her to a gurney and 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 wheeled her off to the hospital sometimes the truth sounds strange but the truth is truth no matter what no matter what other people believe no matter what other people may say the truth is always truth it illuminates falsehoods it shines a light on dark areas we come to a new series today as we start this easter season april and uh, April 21st is Easter Sunday. It's one of the latest, uh, latest times in the year I remember Easter being since I've been a pastor. Uh, but April 21st, we will be celebrating uh, not just Easter, we call it Resurrection Sunday. When Jesus rose from the grave and why does the easter season move or why does easter sunday move it's based on the jewish calendar and the first full moon the new moon and all this stuff and so it's it's kind of uh, juxtaposed along with passover uh, the jewish passover because jesus celebrated the passover with his disciples Uh, he broke bread he gave thanks and said take and eat this is my body broken for you he took the cup that night says take and drink this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. That night as he was celebrating the Seder meal or the Passover meal with his disciples was also the night he would be arrested, would be betrayed by one of his own 12 disciples. And that's where we're starting today. Uh, the theme of this year has been a theme of love. And we've been looking at the different aspects of this definition of love. Today, we look at the definition given in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, uh, the, the section that says... Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Thus, the series title for this month is Truth and Justice. Jesus didn't receive justice, though he was the truth embodied in a man. But Jesus' truth, as he was nailed to a cross, is what sets us free from sin and death. As we look at today's passage, we come to, again, like I said, the betrayal and arrest. And, and from John chapter 13 to John chapter 18, these, this whole swath of five different chapters, is, it, it happens within uh, the, the, the first, uh, really, it's more of a, a few days' time, or a day's time. Jesus has secured a place in an upper room, downtown Jerusalem. If you were a Jew at the time, you were to be a good Jew and travel, if you could, to Jerusalem for the Passover, this celebration of unleavened bread. You were to come there and you were to partake in a Passover celebration with all the Jewish community for the purpose of remembering God's might of setting the Israelites free from bondage in Egypt. This Exodus experience, you go all the way back to the Old Testament, and in Exodus, we get this picture of a mighty, holy God who takes this man named Moses and sends him to Egypt to speak to Pharaoh to set the captives free. God had heard the cries of his own people in Egypt in bondage and slavery And he's ready to act. The Jews had become so numerous. Think about what I was talking about last sermon series. If you hadn't been with us, I was looking at Jacob, Jacob and Esau, but specifically Jacob and Jacob was carrying on the promise of his father, Isaac, who was carrying on the promise of his father, Abraham, who was carrying on the promise of God given him that Abraham would become a mighty nation. His descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. And now, at the Exodus moment, the Jewish people had become millions in number. Men, women, and children. Outnumbering the stars in the sky, if you will. Not really, but we know the, the analogy and the imagery there. And so now, hundreds of years later, Jesus is sitting in an upper room. Breaking bread with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal that had been celebrated so many times before and he gives significance and meaning to the meal that night unlike they had ever heard in their lifetime or any other generation's lifetime before. After they finish the meal, Jesus takes them outside of the city walls. They leave the upper room and they go to a place called the Mount of Olives. And on this place called the Mount of Olives is is uh, is a garden called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press, and so in this garden called the olive press, Jesus begins to pray, and he prays that night, one of our gospels tells us that he prays that night to God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way that you can accomplish your purposes, then let this cup of suffering pass from me. What cup of suffering is he talking about? The crucifixion. But he comes to this, this place where he says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. Have you ever said that? Have you ever come to this place where you're really at a crossroads and, 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 and God's, God's uh, giving you an answer and you know what the answer is, but you're like, "Ah, oh, God, please, if there's any other way, But have you prayed that other piece of the prayer not my will your will be done you see jesus prayed that prayer after they prayed that prayer jesus now takes his disciples from the mount of olives and through this place called the kidron valley and there's a stream that runs through it it'll be significant to you in a moment but i want to set the stage for what's happening next in john chapter 18 starting with verse 1 we pick up the story after they've prayed have left Gethsemane are now coming through the Kidron Valley. Jesus says, or it says this, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples. Remember, there are only 11 of them at this point because Judas has gone off to betray Jesus. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. When you get to know somebody really well, you know their habits, their behaviors, And so without even having to find out where Jesus went later on that night with the disciples, he already knew where Jesus went. The leading priests and the Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers. Store that word contingent away. We'll come back to that in a little bit. He'd given him a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. So set the stage here. They're coming through the Kidron Valley, and they get met on their way by a contention of Roman soldiers and temple guards. Who are the temple guards? Well, there's a, there's a group called the Sanhedrin. I don't know if you've heard that term or not, but the Sanhedrin were basically the, the supreme court of the Jewish people in that day and age. Yes, the Romans ruled the land, and they had to abide by Roman law, but they also could conduct their own... Um, purposes uh, as long as it didn't conflict with the Jewish, or excuse me, the Roman law, uh, but they did that via the Sanhedrin, which is the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, had their own police force that they paid, they took care of. And there were also police for the priests. The high priests specifically, Caiaphas at this time, Uh, also has police at his disposal so we call them the temple guards this is who comes to meet Jesus and the twelve or the eleven disciples coming through the valley Jesus fully realized what was going to happen to him get this he sees them coming torches swords they can see this horde of 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 soldiers and and police coming he realizes what's going to happen because he remember he prayed God if there's any other way let this cup pass from me not my will though yours be done he knew what was getting ready to happen so he stepped forward to meet them now imagine this Judas is leading this band of of soldiers Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen what does he do does he take off running does he hide behind his disciples (laughs) what do you do in the fight or flight syndrome you know you jump behind somebody you ever done that all right okay I haven't either <laughs> but Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen and he steps forward you ever been standing in a line of people and somebody you know the teacher or the coach wants to volunteer and everybody else takes a step back but Jesus takes a step forward and guess what he says who are you looking for who are you looking for and they responded Jesus the Nazarene Jesus response is so plain and so simple it takes them off guard listen to what he says I am he Jesus said gives us in parentheses Judas who betrayed him was standing with them would you have the wherewithal to be in the front of the pack if you had betrayed the one you'd been with for three years most people wouldn't today we we stand behind computer screens and we'll shout some of these worst things at people when we wouldn't say it to their face but judas is there standing with these soldiers as jesus said i am he they drew back and fell to the ground and we'll get to that in a minute hold that away in your head for a moment once more he asked him well (laughs) Who are you looking for and again they replied I'm sure a little disheveled at this point uh, um, Jesus of Nazareth I told you I'm he and since I'm the one you want let these others go you don't really have a beef with them you have a beef with me he did this to fulfill his own statement I did not lose a single one of those that you'd given me when he was praying and then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I, drink, shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given to me? Now Luke, interestingly enough, gives us this picture. And Luke is a physician. <laughs> Imagine this. Luke is the only one that tells us what Jesus does after that. He, he tells him, those who live by the sword die by the sword, to Peter, said, put away your sword. And he heals Malchus' ear. It's the only gospel that tells us that. Each of the gospels tell us this story. But Luke's the one who tells us he heals the man. So the soldiers, their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus. They tied him up. Even though he said, I'll go. I'll do this. Just in case he was being a little squirrely, they tied him up. First they took him to Annas. Annas the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Now, Annas is a character. Uh, I'll talk about him some other time, but Annas really is the puppeteer behind the scenes. He was extremely wealthy, extremely corrupt, and his son-in-law was a high priest. Do you think his son-in-law got the high priest position uh, because of his connections? Possibly. Caiaphas was more of a puppet. Than anything else. They took him to Annas, the father in law of Caiaphas, the high priest. Why do you think they would take him to Annas and not the high priest? It's interesting, isn't it? Caiaphas was the one who had actually told the other Jewish leaders it's better that one man should die for the people. Here's a key point this morning. Sometimes the truth is hard to believe, even when it's staring you right in the face sometimes the truth is hard to believe even when it's staring you right in the face here's a couple of things we can take away from this passage today jesus knew the truth he saw the truth and he was the truth we need to we need to lock that in before we go any further into this series over the next month he knew the truth he saw the truth And he was the truth. Praying in the garden of Gethsemane that night, he was arrested. It solidified in Jesus the truth of the coming crucifixion that he would have to bear alone. Jesus was praying. What did he pray in the garden? If there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass, not my will, yours be done. But when he was done praying that prayer and the soldiers were coming through the Kidron Valley and they meet up together, he knew the truth of the situation of God's will was for him to accomplish what he had set out to accomplish. And the only way that was gonna happen was through crucifixion. He knew the truth of the situation. He knew the Father's will in heaven was for him to fulfill this. And it doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. Why? Because it's all based on injustice. Look at the great lengths the religious leaders and the priests went through to try to trip Jesus up. They'd done this the whole length of his ministry. Three years after he came out of the temptation in the wilderness, the, the 40 days of fasting, he begins his ministry, he calls his disciples, he begins to gather a following, he's healing the lame, the deaf, the blind, he's raising the dead. And the, and the priests and the teachers of the law and, and, the, and the Pharisees, they begin to get a little frustrated and that's putting it mildly read the gospels matthew mark luke and john you'll see what great lengths they went to to try to trip him up to try to get him to mess up on some point of the law so that they could take him to the sanhedrin so that they would convict him and he would be uh he would be ridiculed as a as a false teacher but here's the funny thing they can never do that to him Every time they would come and trip him up or try to trip him up on a point of the law, he would turn the tables around. And this is what God does best. When the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy and twist the truth and deceive us, God illuminates the truth in a better and greater way so as to cast out any doubt. The woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8, thrown before Jesus by religious leaders, nonetheless, caught in the act of adultery, drug out, thrown at the feet of Jesus in all complete humiliation. The law of Moses says we should stone her, Jesus. We should kill her right on the spot. What do you say? And he bends down and begins to scribble in the dirt. They press him even further. He stands up. He addresses the group that brought her out there. And what does he tell them? You without sin cast the first stone. It's intriguing that every one of the men that were there with stones in their hands knew the truth of that statement. And the older ones dropped their stones first. Because it says the oldest to the youngest in that order dropped their stones whether they had amassed more sin in their lives up to that point and they realized the truth of his statement or, or or whether they knew what they were doing was just blatantly wrong because their motive wasn't true justice for the woman or the situation it was to trip Jesus up and they were using her as a pawn Love doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. So Jesus knew the truth. He got up resolute to make his way to the cross and he steps forward. He says, who are you looking for? Knowing real well who they were looking for, Jesus the Nazarene. And he says, I am he. He knew the truth. He knew what was gonna happen and he willingly accepted it. Do we do that? Do we know the truth and do we willingly accept it? Because sometimes the truth is hard to swallow, isn't it? Like Jesus, we may know the truth that can truly set us free, but the step into the truth is so much more difficult than actually just knowing the truth. So truth should force us to a response. And this is one of the things they don't teach in schools today, and I don't want to over-inflate this, but in in a lot of the schools, whether it's it's in high school, uh, middle school, let's go to higher education, college, master's degree, doctoral work, one of the things that's missing is critical thinking. We are not taught to think critically anymore. We are taught to regurgitate everything that is told us, and that's a problem. And the reason it's a problem is because we, like sheep, have all wandered astray with so-called shepherds who want to do us harm, lead us to the slaughter. When there is a good shepherd who is the truth, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, 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 And that kind of truth can set us free, but instead we buy hook, line, and sinker this truth that is regurgitated to us without even thinking through it critically, without asking the tough questions. Jesus always asked the tough questions. When he had people coming to him to try to trip him up, he would turn it around and ask another question. It was another time Jesus <clears throat> was confronted again by religious leaders because these religious leaders thought it was sinful to pay the Roman taxes because the Roman government was the oppressor. It was the, 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 really the, the devil of the day for them, if you will. And so they come to him, And they say should we pay the taxes or shouldn't we should we abide by the law or shouldn't we jesus what do you think i'm paraphrasing this look it up for yourselves but what does jesus tell them he says uh do you guys have a roman coin you have a coin on you and someone pulled it out of their little satchel which is just hilarious because They're they're holding this emblem that they hate so much. And he takes the coin and he said, whose image is on this? Well, it's Caesar. And what does Jesus say? Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and render to the Lord what is the Lord's or render to God what is God's in essence what he's saying robbie zacharias puts this so well he's an apologist today out of atlanta georgia he says what jesus in essence was saying is the image on the coin was caesar so give it to caesar who cares but whose image is on you see the religious leaders of that day and age would have known all the way back genesis chapter 1 verse 27 For God created man in his own image. In his own image he created them. Male and female he created them. Mm. Render to Caesar what Caesar's, but render to the Lord what is the Lord's, whose image is on you. Jesus was masterful about illuminating the truth by asking the tougher questions and forcing them to think more critically instead of scraping off the surface muck that society wants to force-feed you. The second thing we know is that Jesus saw the truth while he's passing the Kidron Valley— this is so important i said store this away because the kidron valley would come back in our context here i want you to place yourself in the kidron valley you have no clue what that looks like i should actually have had a map up here this morning to show you juxtaposed to where the temple was where the kidron valley was just outside the walls here so jesus mount of olives praying gethsemane now coming through the kidron valley he meets this horde of soldiers And police guards coming through the kidron valley here's the significance of the kidron valley william barclay gives some description of this valley in light of the passover celebration and what happened during this time listen to what he writes all the passover lambs were killed in the temple just inside the city proper and the blood of the lambs was poured on the altar as an offering to god so inside the temple just close to the Holy of Holies is this altar in view of, of at least those uh, who were able to come into that court where the altar was, which was the Jewish males at the time. And in that altar, the priests would take the blood. So they would slice the, the throat of the lambs and they would let all of the blood pour out. I, I know this is getting gory, but hang in there with me for a minute. They would take all of the blood from these lambs and they would, in these basins, toss it on the altar. Now, the altar had grooves cut into it so the blood could flow out and and at least not go completely everywhere. They would throw this stuff on the altar. The number of lambs slain for the Passover was so immense during Passover season. On one occasion, 30 years later than the time of Jesus, the census was actually taken and the number of lambs sacrificed that one year, 30 years later during the census was 256,000 lambs. Let me say that again, 256,000 lambs. Think of how many liters of blood having been drained from the sacrificial lambs was poured on the altar. We might imagine that what what the temple courts were like when all the blood of these lambs were dashed on the altar. From the altar, there was this channel down to the brook of Kidron. (laughs) Now you catch where this imagery is going for a minute, don't you? From the altar, there was a channel down to the Brook of Kedron, and through that channel, the blood of the Passover lambs drained away. When Jesus crossed the brook, after having that evening earlier celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, as the lambs had been slain that very day, when Jesus crossed the brook of Kedron, it would still be red with the blood of the lambs, which had been sacrificed as they crossed over that that river." That small little creek. And as he did so, the thought of his own sacrifice, I'm sure, would have been vivid in his own mind. The one true lamb to take away the sins of the world. Imagine this. And the place where they met the soldiers to arrest him was in the one key place where the runoff of the blood of the lambs flowed down through the valley. there's no coincidence here this is exactly the imagery of truth the truth of injustice and the truth of Jesus that sets us free from sin and death Coming to grips with all of this, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives and his journey through the Kidron Valley, Jesus would still have the words ringing in his ears from the previous evening with his disciples as he explained to Thomas and Philip, the two disciples who were questioning where he's going. Because Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. But where I go, you can't go right now. But you'll come with me there someday. And the question ensues, where are you going? We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way the truth and the life no one could come to the father except through me so by his very words of admission he not only knew the truth saw the truth jesus admittedly was the truth second thing morning. the roman soldiers and the temple police were taken off guard by the truth of jesus very presence what what happened to the temple guards when jesus stepped forward and said who are you looking for and they said jesus nazarene and he says i am he what happens they fall back they fall back. It's interesting to know who actually came with Judas to arrest Jesus. One simple sentence doesn't do it justice. A contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards. If you don't know what a contingent is, you're missing out. So let me explain what this is. A contingent of Roman soldiers is this. I'm gonna go uh, back to Barclay. Listen to what he says. There's something astonishing about the force with, uh, which came to arrest Jesus. Think about these 11 disciples and they're coming for the one man, Jesus the Nazarene. Now I want you to put that in your minds for just a moment and think as I'm reading this, what kind of force they brought to take away this Jewish carpenter. John said that there there was a company of soldiers or a contingent of soldiers together with officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. The officers would be the temple police. The temple authorities had a kind of private police force to keep good order. Uh, and the Sanhedrin, as I mentioned a while ago, had its police officers to carry out its decrees. The officers, therefore, were Jewish police force. But there was a, a band of soldiers there too, and the word for contingent in the Greek is called spira. Now, that word, correctly used, actually can have three different meanings. Let me explain what those meanings are. A spira, it, it can be a Greek is a Greek word for cohort in a Roman cohort had 600 men in it a Roman cohort had 600 men in it if if it was a cohort of auxiliary soldiers however a *spira* had a thousand men in it containing 240 cavalry and 760 infantry sometimes and much more rarely the word is used for the detachment of men called a maniple which is made up of 200 men. So let's just take, for instance, the case that it is the lowest number. There are 200 Roman soldiers along with temple police and guards. Now imagine the swords, the torches, and everything they're bringing to come and arrest Jesus. illuminated the valley as the blood ran red down through the valley and the creek from the day's Passover sacrifices. Why in the world would they come with that many people to arrest Jesus? Even if we take it to mean the smallest amount, what an expedition to send out against an unarmed Galilean carpenter. You see, I think they knew the truth of who Jesus was or they feared the truth of who Jesus was. And they knew it was gonna take a lot of men to take him down if he could truly raise the dead heal the blind or the sick what are we up against well we may we may need 600 men maybe a thousand but even if you take 200 600 or a thousand any of those numbers is a large number to take down one man you have these roman soldiers and the temple police being led by Judas Iscariot to arrest Jesus they come up on Jesus and the other 11 disciples the first person to speak is Jesus, who says, "Who are you looking for?" They replied, "Jesus the Nazarene." It's interesting too what Jesus says. He says, "I am He." Did you know the very words used for "I am" in that passage are the same words used in Exodus chapter three, verse fourteen, and John chapter eight, fifty-eight. Okay, what are the contexts? Moses is out in the wilderness tending his sheep. He sees a sight off in the distance of a bush that's burning but not being consumed by the flames. How long do you have to sit and notice a bush is burning before it's not being consumed by the flames? So for a while he watches this. Then he grows nearer to it because he's like, something strange about this. And as he gets closer, a voice comes from the bush. And the voice is loud and thunderous and says, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And then what happens then is basically God telling Moses, I've chosen you to go back and set my people free after 40 years in the wilderness or actually having been there till he was age 40. He hears the voice of God, not convinced. It's God, he says, well, who shall I say is sending me? And what does God tell him? I am that I am. Or some versions translate it as I will be what I will be. That's the first instance we hear of the I am. Jesus mentions it several times. I've heard so many people that are atheists or don't wanna, you don't wanna contend with the faith and say, no, no, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. But he did claim to be God. So, weigh that out. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 58. Again, as the religious leaders always did to Jesus, they were trying to trip him up on matters of the law. And he tells them this, and it's not grammatically correct. Your English teacher would count you off for this kind of grammar. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. What do you and right after that they get royally ticked off not because his grammar is bad but because of the content of what he said before Abraham was I am he's in essence telling them I've always existed he's using the words from the burning bush to confront the religious leaders I am that I am And now Jesus standing before this cohort of Roman soldiers and and the temple police and Judas standing by their side on the front lines. They've come for Jesus in Nazarene and he says, I am the same exact words. I am he. And their first reaction is what they're caught off guard who is bold enough to claim their God maybe the Roman soldiers didn't get it but the temple police and guards did and if you imagine they're all compacted together and maybe the Roman police and guards are in the front you just kind of jump back it's like a domino effect that lays everybody out could be on funniest home videos right But this is what happens. He says, I am he. And the very truth of his presence took them off guard. So much so that they stumbled in disbelief. Again, he says, (laughs) they're gathering themselves, getting back up, this clanging metal and swords and torches. Who'd you say you're looking for again? Um, Jesus the Nazarene? I told you I'm he. But don't arrest anybody else but me. I'm the one you're looking for. You see, the soldiers and police were looking for Jesus, but what they found was truth staring right back at them, and they couldn't handle it see some people come looking for Jesus some of you may have stepped into this place today saying I don't know about all this Jesus stuff and church stuff but I'll give it a shot I'll try it out I'll I'll, you know I'm kind of curious you come looking for Jesus but when you find the truth staring you back in the face you have a choice you can stumble back in disbelief or you can willingly accept the truth as it stands and allow your life to be changed forever What would you do if you were looking for the truth and you found Jesus staring right back at you? Winston Churchill once said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves off and hurry off as if nothing ever happened. This morning, have you stumbled over the truth and allowed it to change your life? Or have you picked yourself up and hurried off as if nothing ever happened. Do some of you stumble over the truth on Sunday mornings and then go back to living the way you did the week before on Monday through Saturday? See, if Jesus is the truth as he said he was and the truth sets us free, then why do we live as if we're in bondage? Church, listen to me. The world lives like it's in bondage, but I see so many in the church that live like it's in bondage, live like they're in bondage. I I see so many people that don't have the joy of the Lord. I see so many people that are burdened and instead of releasing those burdens to Jesus and finding hope and peace in the moment of difficulty and giving praise and glory to God, Instead of like James saying, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you encounter trials and troubles of many kinds. I see so many people saying, oh, woe is me. Oh, they might give a token shout out to Jesus, but then they go back into the bitter complaining. If the sun has set you free, you're free Indeed. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you're following another way, believing another truth, or living another life, you're going to find yourself constantly in bondage. You've got to let go and give God the glory for everything in your life. You need to be able to accept the will of God, even when it leads you through some of the deepest, darkest valleys of life. Lord, not my will, yours be done. And I'm willing to walk there and go there with you because I know you're with me. I know your rod and your staff, they're going to comfort me along the way. So I trust you, even if I don't trust the circumstance. Once you've been presented with the truth, there's a decision to make. Either you can accept it and let it change your life, or you can reject it and never know true freedom. Church, and if you're not a part of the church today, if you don't consider yourself a believer in Christ, as our worship team comes up to close this out today, I want to speak to the church real quick. <clears throat> Believers in Christ, those that have said, I believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life, and I've surrendered my life to him for eternity. I'm walking this road of faith with fear and trembling, knowing that he is with me and I'm doing my best. To live for him every day those of you that have made that commitment why so downcast put your hope in god Yes, there are reasons to cry, and God gives us tears and sorrow for a reason, but once the season of grief is over, we don't weep as ones who have no hope. Now, that's for ones who have died in our lives, who have had Christ in their lives, and we know that they've gone on to heaven ahead of us, but but it also works for those of us in the here and now who go through tough situations. We don't grieve as ones who have no hope. So we can grieve for a moment, through circumstances, situations, the loss of a job, the loss of income, the loss of circumstances, or good, the loss of a husband, or a wife, a child. Let's see, we have a hope that's greater than our circumstances. And we should ride on that hope. We should mount up on wings like eagles. We, we, when we wait upon the Lord, we run and not grow weary. We walk and not faint. Church, we have called to be, we have been called to be light and salt, not salt that's lost its flavor or purifying power and not a candle that's blown out. And those of you who haven't made that commitment of faith today, Knowing the truth, meaning Jesus himself, can truly set you free. This is something you may hear Christians talk about a lot. Maybe you don't often see it. But the truth can set you free. From sin and death, it may not set you free from your circumstances, but the truth of Jesus Christ and him with you can walk through any circumstance you face. And you will be able to walk through that with grace more than you do now. So as we pray this morning, allow truth to do its work in you. Yes, question scripture, but question it openly and honestly. Because when you critically think through and ask the tough questions, God does this amazing thing about revealing himself to you if you seek me he says you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart don't just accept your pastor's word for it your neighbor's word for it seek him yourself let's pray father there's a lot of injustice in this world there's a lot of sin in this world there's a lot of death in this world And when we get confused, concerned, when we get hopeless, thinking our hope lies in our country, in our president, in the Congress, in the Supreme Court, or our hope lies in this law or that law being passed, remind us that you are our only hope. Remind us that it is through you and in you true justice comes you hear the cries of your people i know you do and in your perfect timing you act in accordance to your perfect will help us to trust in you to surrender our lives to you and to live with the joy of the lord in our hearts with the peace that passes understanding in our lives And a hope that fills us to overflowing so that as we go into our workplaces, the community, any fabric of society, that we would truly be light and salt. No matter what circumstance we're going through. And Father, we'll never fail to give you all the praise and glory for it is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Maine, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.